Welcome to Gleaming the Tube, the podcast where Kevin and Mike watch a film in which somebody rides a skateboard at some point. Finally, a podcast where people talk about movies. Hello, Michael. Hello, Kevin. So this week, I thought we would try and do a holiday spooktacular and check out 2018's The Christmas Chronicles, which is a made-for-Netflix film directed by Clay Cadis. It follows two kids who help Santa Claus, played inexplicably by Kurt Russell, recover all of his magical artifacts after they scatter so they can all save Christmas. And Christmas was saved, it was. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't know if any of these movies end with Christmas not being saved, but... (laughs) I like I, now. See now again, the, as is tradition on this podcast, I think we're we just stumbled upon the next great thing where they make you make a movie where Christmas just isn't saved. Yeah, Christmas is fucked, and we are in a hellscape because Santa lost his hat or whatever. You know, I believe at one point in this film, Santa says like the last time he lost his hat, like that caused the the dark ages. Well, that was the fun. I'm, it's funny that we got, but that was the funniest thing to me when I was watching the movie. I was like, I'm sorry, wait, are you implying that because people didn't get their stuff for Christmas, like the dark ages occurred? Like he's, he makes the comment, like anytime there's been war or, or social unrest, that's when I wasn't able to deliver. And I'm like, so, so is this like a consumerist thing where it's like, unless you get your toy bicycle, World War II erupts? Because I mean, honestly, man, looking back over 2020, yes, I could connect the dots to, well, maybe Santa um, didn't get to make his appointed rounds last year. Right. Well, or, or the other, the other sort of dark, uh, uh, version of that is that is does that mean that every time there's been really really dark times, it's just that Santa Claus is trying to teach some kid a lesson and failed to do so? Like, is there some kid who is like, I don't believe in Santa, and the world almost collapsed because Santa couldn't get his shit together to teach the kid a lesson? It's a very bizarre film. It's like even for, even tonally, I feel like it's pitched somewhere in between like a Hallmark Christmas movie. And like a Marvel movie. Well, right, because Kurt Russell Santa is sort of this like grizzled. He's sort of like over it, <laughs> Christmas wise. It seems. And then, at the, and then that's the thing. After all that stuff, it really like it wasn't the hat that gave him the power. So he let all of this stuff sort of unfold for the benefit of one kid. <laughs> uh, well, two kids, Kate and Teddy. Um, it's weird. I've heard. Kurt Russell's Santa portrayal described online as the Santa who fucks. <laughs> Man, that is that is concise. <laughs> yeah, he's he, right. That's exactly right. He plays Santa as if he's just like a guy who was a plumber for 35 years and now he's Santa Claus. He's like, all right, everybody. Kevin, I don't know if it's too early in this podcast to bring it up, but the scene in the jail cell where he performs the Santa Sings the Blues Christmas number had me rolling on the floor laughing. And the reason why is because I I can only imagine that at some point Kurt Russell was like, you know, if I'm going to do this movie, I'm going to (laughs) sing. And they were like, all right, Kurt, I guess you can. Let's get a little Steven Van Zandt from the E Street Band to back you up. 
I also had a really good time imagining that it was originally written for Bruce Willis, who was who was really wanted to uh, to reboot his Bruno character, and then it fell through. And Kurt Russell was like, "I'm going to step in and do it myself." <laughs> Although no blues harmonica was played by Santa, some ad executive was like, "I have a really good Bartles and James campaign. We're going to bring back Bruno." <laughs> And then that fell through. Because you know, Mike, you may not have heard this, but there are some people who consider Die Hard a Christmas movie. I think we should argue about it on the internet ad nauseum. The people who consider Die Hard a Christmas movie usually don't mention that fact. They rarely bring it up. It's something they hold very close to their breast and don't. (laughs) They don't like to discuss that at all. Oh, Bruno. Yes, I, I I admit that I that entire sequence, I was like, this was absolutely written for Bruce Willis. And it just, the, it, the, the stars didn't align. And Kurt Russell was like, you know what? I've got a bit of a singing voice myself. <laughs> I did enjoy that a lot. <laughs> I do. I do like the symmetry career-wise of, like, Kurt Russell got his start in those live-action Disney movies, like in the computer war tennis shoes. Like, he was like a a kid Disney star. Like I believe there's an urban legend that like the last words Walt Disney ever wrote on a piece of paper were Kurt Russell. Um, when he was planning out a, a project, I think that's been disproven, but I kind of like how Kurt Russell like started out there and went and like, you know, had this kind of, he did a lot of like kind of, he did escape from New York. He did the thing. And you know, now he's doing these kind of family-friendly movies on Netflix at the end of his career playing playing Santa Who Fucks. Kevin, I, uh, I don't know that I'm going to get anything more out of this podcast because for the rest of this, the time that we're recording this, I'm going to be thinking about how it's absolutely true that the very last words that Walt Disney ever wrote down were Kurt Russell. There is no way that that's not true. That is part of the lore from now on. That's canon. (laughs) His head is frozen in a freezer, and his hand has a pen, and there's a flowing script that says... Kurt Russell. It's the script for Flubber. <laughs> it's Kurt Russell. <laughs> oh, that is good stuff, man. <laughs> man, I'm getting hot from laughing so much. That is that is funny. I do think Kurt Russell's good in this. He's great. He's having a good like that's the thing. You watch a movie like this and you're like Kurt Russell's having a good time, man. He's like he's like I can imagine I I, I spent the whole time like imagining that he had his hands and he's like, we're going to redesign the Santa costume. So it's like a leather jacket with like a vest underneath it. I'm going to have kind of a cool floppy old guy Santa haircut. There's a lot of scenes where he goes out of his way to talk about how he's not fat. Right. He's that. That's a, that's a running theme in the movie. He's like, does this, this my, and then the, uh, th- that was the other thing is the decision that I, for whatever reason, this Santa doesn't say, ho, ho, ho. Ridiculous. Why would I say it? Not a thing. Yeah, or I don't know if it's if it's sort of a riff on like if you have a catchphrase and you're a famous person and you know to Bruce Willis for instance say yippee kaye Bruce Willis right okay so that that actually plays I, I you know what Kevin that that was that that's a level that I hadn't uh, that I hadn't mentally gotten to but yeah that's that seems it was I, I liked how branded the movie was 
Like, I like how much they talk about the, the car that he's, he's driving. Like, it was pretty clear that they were like, we got a, was that a, was it a Ford Mustang? Yeah, there's a lot of product placement in this movie. Um, even even up, up to the skateboard, where it's, like, called out as a Bones Brigade skateboard. They, they wanted to make sure. Yeah, he, that was a Rodney Mullen uh, model skateboard, by the way, just in case, just, just for the skateboarding continuity of this uh, podcast, that was a Rodney Mullen Bones Brigade. And that's the thing that uh, Kate, young 10-year-old Kate, played by Darby Camp, wants Santa to bring her, is a Bones Brigade skateboard. And I was wondering, like, is this product placement or is this the producers being like, you know, oh, for the verisimilitude, we're going to actually call out. Like someone working on this movie was like, it should be Bones Brigade. I, I, it kind of, yeah, that kind of worked both ways for me. It's in 2018, bo- the Bones Brigade is certainly not, well, no, I mean, that you know, now that I'm saying it out loud, I think it is something that would be recognizable enough because of the documentary and because of all those, because of Tony Hawk that somebody might you know, recognize the the name, the Bones Brigade. But it's interesting. They didn't refer to it as a, refer to it as a Powell Peralta skateboard. It was a Bones Brigade skateboard, which I thought was interesting. Can you buy a Bones Brigade skateboard in 2018? Yeah. I mean, all of those old Powell Peralta models have been reissued dozens of times and they're very popular sort of with the dad who used to skate consortium of people they want the old shape and the old wheels and all that and so you can you can get them and i will tell you that if you find an original keep it because it is worth a lot of money that's for sure is that the same skateboard that the brother uh teddy played by judah lewis has earlier in the film no him and his skater friends have like contemporary modern skateboards which i noticed um they're basically blank on the bottom there there was no there was no product placement for their boards. I thought it was really interesting that they used for the brother, you know, getting into skateboarding was the device where he was like getting involved with the wrong kind of people who they, and they steal a car, you know what I mean? And, (laughs) you know, that's like, that's that sort of old, you're hanging out with the skate rat guys and now you've stolen a car and Santa's going to teach you a lesson. I found the stealing a car thing to be pretty intense. Like usually it's like, kind of egging him onto shoplift or something, you know, like go get that Spider-Man comic book out of there, man. And instead it's like, we're stealing a car. Right. It, it seemed like a real leap forward. I, like I was like, I was wondering if they were stealing it because there was like a load of heroin in the trunk or something. Cause they were living in Lowell, Massachusetts, which is, you know, a pretty rough area if you, uh, you know, but it was, it was, these are teenage skateboarder kids who have boosted a car in, the, in broad daylight. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, and I I did think it was interesting that the family lived in Lowell. I was going to ask you about that, like how familiar you are with Lowell, because I know you grew up in Woonsocket, and I like I live up here, and I kind of think of Lowell as the Woonsocket of Massachusetts. Yeah, um, I think that Lowell would be yeah, I, th- that's a that's a perfectly reasonable thing to uh to equate. Yeah, it's like a former mill town. Former mill town, yeah, kind of. Uh, I believe. Uh, there is a professional skateboarder from Lowell, Mass, and now I can't remember his name, which is not great because we are doing a podcast right now. <laughs> but I, 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 it's too bad. Let me maybe we can fix this in post, and I'll look up the dude's name. I believe it's Jack Kerouac. Well, they do work well, Kevin, on the road. Boom! Nailed it. That's a literary reference for you out there. <laughs> so that and um, I, like the majority of the action takes place in Chicago. 
even though it, it, the kids live in Lowell because they get on Santa's sleigh and it sort of indicates that Santa's sleigh operates using like wormhole technology where, and I, I thought that was the case when I watched the holiday special Christmas comes to Packland, where Santa is flying through the air and he goes into another dimension into the, like the world of Pac-Man in that one. And I was like, Oh, Santa's sleigh must like cross through every dimension at once for him to deliver these presents. It's like the heart of gold in the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. Sure. It, yeah. It, it, it makes sense scientifically that, that he would use wormhole technology in order to deliver presents uh, especially on an expedited timeline. <laughs> it's one of the things I like about this movie is it's worked out all of the, there's no plot holes to speak of in the Christmas Chronicles. It's airtight. The science absolutely works out. It was very important. So most of it takes place in Chicago because the sleigh crashes and Santa's like magical artifacts get scattered. So he has to go about finding them, much like in the first arc of the Sandman comic book, Preludes and Nocturnes. Um before he can like do all his Christmas stuff. Although you learn at the end that he didn't really need it anyway, as you said, it's a, it's a, it's a strange movie. And I think like, like we talked about the car stealing, but there's also like cute CGI elves, like tonally. I, I don't feel like this movie knows quite what it wants to be. Like, is it a kid's movie? Is it trying to be like an eighties Amblin movie? I think it wants to be one of those like four quadrant. This movie is for everybody films. And I think it comes close, but I also think sometimes it feels a little tonally out of whack, especially when Kurt Russell's not Santa Clausing it up. Well, that's, I think that's the thing is that's the danger when you try I mean, it's clearly a movie for the whole family. So they wanted to have some action for the dad and, uh, you know, kind of a moral story, but also some cuteness for the kids. And that's a, that's a, that's a hard tightrope to walk. Yeah. And I found those elves horrifying. Terrifying. They speak like a pseudo Icelandic tongue, like they're all in Sigur Ross, and it, yeah, they're all kind of like just bo- on the border from between demons and cute elves. Yeah, they, I found them to be the stuff of nightmares, and they they don't they threaten to like like hurt people <laughs> at certain parts. They almost murder the little girl before they know what the what the deal is. Like they, I think they've got her like held down. <laughs> yeah. And wait, am I remembering it wrong? Is there some sort of an elf weapon? Maybe not. I, I admit that I only watched a movie once and I <laughs> maybe I'm, I'm filling in the blanks. It was yeah, I, don't, I, I feel like once is plenty in terms of in terms of the nuance. This was actually my second time watching this movie. I saw it in 2018 because my parents were staying with me and they had heard that it was good and wanted to watch it. So I was like, OK. So what did your parents think of it? Uh, they thought it was delightful. Well, all right. <laughs> then then delightful it was. How, how not surprised were you when Mrs. Claus turned out to be uh oh, but, sorry, spoiler alert. How not surprised were you when Mrs. Claus turned out to be Goldie Hawn? I was not very surprised. Um, Kurt and Goldie, they're a us weekly couple for the ages. So I think in this, I think in the sequel, Goldie Hawn like plays a much more prominent role. But yeah, so there's not actually a ton of skateboarding in this movie. There's the skateboards are kind of totemic i feel the skateboards are totemic like you said to sort of provide a bridge into juvenile delinquency and to show that the younger sister still idolizes her brother because she wants a skateboard like him you know it could have honestly it could have been uh dirt bikes or laser tag or 
whatever. Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons modules. If only it had been Dungeons and Dragons. I kind of wish that the movie with that Teddy and his ne'er-do-well friends were like heavily into Dungeons and Dragons and then stole cars. <laughs> that, that would, that would have made for a very, uh, for a, for a very interesting dynamic. I agree. It's, it is interesting to me though, that it, it's, it's funny that there is that sort of, there is skateboarding is popular enough now that, well, it's, it's one of those things that's been a, de, de, in a device for movies for years and years and years is that in order to show, you know, that a teenage kid has, you know, you know, it's like, it's sort of like the, the posters on the wall that they cho- choose to put in a kid's room are the window into the kind of personality the kid has. And very often a skateboard is propped up in the background in order to show like, this is another, you know, uh, another dynamic in this kid's life. But it's, uh, I don't think anybody actually rides a skateboard in this movie, which makes it the, the, the most, uh, the most tenaciously connected the skateboarding movie that we've watched so far. Yeah, I know. I had wanted to do a Christmas movie for this week. Cause I was like, Oh, it's a holiday. It's be a holiday special. And this was the closest I could find in terms of, I was really, really hoping there was a Hallmark movie because there's like 10,000 of those where, you know, the, the adorable Moppet kid of the widowed dad from the small town rode a skateboard, but it never happened because I feel like it's, it would be too edgy. <laughs> yeah. Skateboarding is way too edgy for a, for a Hallmark movie. Come on. Then. Yeah. There's maybe rollerblades or a razor scooter, maybe, but a skateboard, no way. There's a lot of ice skating. Yes. But there's not a lot of skateboarding in a the lot Hallmark of scarves movies. and a lot of ice skating. So this was the closest I could find because I, I mean, I kind of, I like Christmas specials more than I like Christmas movies in general. I, yeah, I, I can agree with that. I revisited for the first time in years, the Pee Wee Herman Christmas special and man, what a masterpiece. That is. Oh my God. It is beyond delightful. Like that, that is, it's a work of sheer perfection. And if I could, if I could give a plug actually on the show for um, later this week on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Eve, I am joining uh, Dragon Con's American Sci-Fi Classics track at 9 p.m. Uh, if you like Google a Dragon Con American Sci-Fi Classics track, I believe you know there's a Facebook page and I think a YouTube page. We'll I'll be discussing with them weird Christmas specials. Uh, I believe it's called from from otters to donkeys weird Christmas. So Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, Nestor the Long-Eared Donkey. So check out that where I will be uh, discussing that on Christmas Eve at 9 p.m. That sounds fantastic. And then for this one, we're discussing uh, the Christmas Chronicles, which I would not put in my pantheon. Even though I like specials better, there are some Christmas movies I like. I would not put this in my pantheon of, of favorite Christmas movies. Yeah, it's 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 certainly low on the <laughs> on the on the bracket, as I'd say. But you know, as far as just a um, flat out silly, entertaining movie, I will say the sequence where they're doing the the big blues number in the in the jail cell was. Uh, but it's you know, it's funny. You watch that scene and you think, well, if he can produce all of these instruments, why can't he just not be in prison? And then, of course, you find or it's not jail. There's a distinction there. Then, of course, you find out that it's all sort of a MacGuffin and it's it's all in service of teaching the young lad a lesson. I don't think the musical number was in service of teaching them a lesson. I think he just wanted to do that. 
Oh, right. Yeah. That was for Santa. That, that, that was Santa was just like, you know what? Let's get loose with it, little Steven. And little Steven was like, yes, please. Wouldn't have been funny if it, it had turned into a full E Street band performance that was like three and a half hours long, just stuck in. <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah. I mean, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen shows up and does his, uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's. As much as I do like Bruce Springsteen, that is not one of my favorite Christmas <laughs> cover songs. No, it's not. It's not one of his finest hours. I don't really like Bruce Springsteen's uh, Otis Redding cover either. The Merry Christmas Baby. I, I know that whole very special Christmas album. Everything on it is overshadowed by the Run DMC song to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wonder if Clarence ever got himself a new saxophone <laughs> in, in heaven. I'm not sure. I always found that like kind of condescending of Bruce. Like, yeah. Like, like it seems like kind of a dick in there. Like Bruce, yeah. like, come on, come on, Bruce. Uh, Clarence is a grown man. He can afford a new saxophone. Why don't you keep your name out of my mouth, Bruce? How about that? <laughs> keep your eyes on your own paper and let me worry about my saxophone. Thank you for listening. Our website is gleamingthetube.net. We're on Facebook at Gleaming the Tube, Twitter and Instagram at Gleam the Tube, and our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Production assistance by Liam Gray. Music by Kissing Contest. Skateboarding is not a crime. Oh, I did remember that the pro skater from Lowell Mass is Manny Santiago. Just for closure on that subject.